didn't want to tell anyone yet, because this object was too weird to be believed. It was in the wrong place. Weird. Australia. You're listening to the new Weird Australia podcast. I'm Stu Buchanan. And here we are, delighted to be opening the podcast with these words. We have a brand new compilation out. Yes, there's a new New Weird Australia compilation out, and it is the first in five years, first original compilation uh, in six years, because the one that was out five years ago was kind of best of. That's just some stats and info for the nerds, though. You don't need to concern yourself with that. All you need to know is there's some brand new music available for you. New New Weird Australia compilation, uh, two-volume set. It's called Solitary Wave. Music uh, made, remade, reconsidered during COVID-19. As I say, two volumes out and in out is uh, tracks that kind of bring the energy, whereas in is designed to induce more of a kind of calmer headspace. 26 tracks on all, half of which are exclusive to the compilation. You can download it now for free on Bandcamp or stream on SoundCloud and find out more at newweirdaustralia.com.au. Brand new New Weird Australia comp. It's been uh, a long, long time coming. And um, if you've already downloaded it or streamed it already, then thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a bit of a labour of love, but we've had some really great feedback and uh, lots of uh, lots of love coming back to us, which, uh, as the old cliche goes, it makes it all worthwhile. But it is true. It's um, really uh, encouraging to uh, see such uh, such great positivity coming back about the new compilation uh so that's that and this is the new weird australia podcast this is the second episode i guess of the kind of rebooted series been away for a little while um if this is the first one that uh, you're listening to then get into the archive newweirdaustralia.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts our most recent one uh, the previous episode number 111 was with rabbit island uh, wonderful experimental lo-fi singer-songwriter out of Western Australia. She's got a great new album out called Songs for Kids and had a beautiful chat with Amber, uh, a.k.a. Rabbit Island, on uh, the most recent podcast episode. And in this episode, which is number 112, which sounds like a fairly big number, I'm talking with Ruben Engel, who is a very, very prolific experimental music maker and radio presenter and promoter of live music in his hometown of Canberra. He's got a brand new album out called NIMBY 2, which is a collection of recordings made with the No Input Mixing Board. We'll be talking about what that is and how it can be used to make music. We're also talking about some of his other releases, including some uh, recent field recording work. Uh, And we'll also be talking about his love of both slow music Slow music, yes, you heard right. And the 1996 Hollywood movie Independence Day. Now, it will all make sense. Do stay with us. It's the new Weird Australia podcast, and this is Ruben Engel. Why don't you take your glasses off so we can see you and then apologise to your neighbours for frightening them? No, 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 no. I'll leave these on. No, I like them. Weird Australia. Direct from uh, isolation in Canberra, Mr. Ruben Engel. How are you going, Ruben? I'm um, going well. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Um, isolation in Canberra could be uh, <laughs> true from some people's perspective, you know, right. throughout throughout the years, but particularly now. <laughs> yeah. Like, how different is it really? <laughs> how are you finding it? How How are you finding isolation? Are you the type of person who kind of 
you know some i know a lot of people who thrive on it you know that's that's their natural state is is that the case with you or is it a bit different? um to some extent yeah i'm very content to um listen to music and play chess online and and just you know fart around the house by myself um quite a lot um my wife is also uh, home and working from home and it's really nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> Sort of looking at uh, your body of work, I mean, I could start anywhere and it would be pretty fascinating. <laughs> um, so let's just um, sort of flip it backwards and start, I guess, with the most recent recordings that you put out, which is uh, called NIMBY. Now, before I kind of, because um, it sort of popped up in my you know, email, Ruben's got a new release out on Bandcamp, NIMBY, and uh, I thought, oh yeah, not in my backyard, uh, before realizing that actually NIMBY in AMB is, of course, no input mixing board. For for those people who maybe haven't come across the kind of no input mixer technique, can you sort of give us a bit of an intro? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I came across it through you know the the person who's arguably the most famous for using uh, the no input mixing board as an instrument. Um, that's uh, Toshimaru Nakamura. the The instrument is basically a, an audio mixer with a bunch of the uh, outputs plugged back into the inputs, so there's no uh, microphones or, or you know instruments uh, plugged into the mixer. It's just kind of itself patched together in different ways, uh, and optionally with you know different uh, distortion pedals or loop pedals or something you know in those paths. But you end up with uh, feedback tones and all the knobs on the mixer start to do things slightly unexpected, you know, like you try to turn a channel up, but it is actually starting to affect the frequency of the feedback tone and, and this kind of thing. So I'm finding it, yeah, very unpredictable and exploratory uh, at first, but then I started to spend a bunch of time with it uh, patched up the same way and develop some proficiency i guess in you know uh getting the sounds that i wanted out of it given it it sounds the way you're describing it in some respects that there are sort of conceptual similarities i suppose with kind of modular synthesis in insofar as you know that that uh there is that sense of the the unexpected that uh it'll, it'll only yield to your control to a certain extent and that's part of the that's part of the joy of it yeah kind of wrangling a, uh, a strange beast, uh, definitely in, in that sense. A big difference from other, other things, I'm very drawn to like layering sound and, you know, putting sound on sound on sound. So when I tried to combine, you know, lots of channels worth of feedback by, you know, using up all the outputs, the aux and the headphone output and patching them all back into different channels, you didn't hear separate layers it all kind of combined in weird and and uh, yeah unpredictable ways this is an example about you know more conventional music you know one track has a bass line and the other track has a hi-hat and you adjust the hi-hat in this case you adjust one thing and everything else reacts <laughs> it and and that's a lot of fun too yeah mm. Mm. you do play the no input mixer 
solo, but you also have performed uh, as part of uh, as part of band setups, um, notably with uh, YouTube Yoga. What's the difference with, between those two for you? Because obviously, when solo, you can allow that sort of um, a little bit of chaos. You can allow it to roam free. But when you're playing with with other musicians, do you have to try and kind of marshal it a bit more, or be a bit more sort of consistent, for want of a better word? Yeah, I think definitely uh, show a, a bit more restraint when I'm collaborating uh, or, or playing live with people. That was the first time that I'd used that instrument in, um, you know, playing with other people. I'd I'd sort of fantasized about maybe doing like a duo with a drummer. That sort of appeals to me. Yeah, this came about sort of by accident. I went to the, uh, the university... Um, art school grad show and bumped into someone who said oh there's some u.s noise musician in town tonight and wants to play a gig so we're gonna put one on in our garage you know come along and i lived just down the street so i i brought my no input mixing gear just in case you know that (laughs) maybe i would end up on the bill and in between that that bit of time some other people had turned up and they were going to play and then we decided we'd all play together and that was uh you know that was that uh, outing and then i think the the noise museo never showed up and we were the only <laughs> people ever to play it was sort of um yeah very very funny accident sounds like the perfect show really I yeah think, you know that, that nothing nothing goes as planned and it's still still pretty exceptional the new collection that you put out nimby part two are you thinking further ahead like where do you where do you take it how far do you feel like um you've either kind of mastered it today or want to master it going forward because when i look at um nakamura's back catalog it's pretty extensive like he's got 20 years of all, all sorts of different derivations of of no input mixing technique yeah i've definitely followed a few particular uh, approaches and and kind of like attempts at at genres um trying to do some dance music with it, uh, essentially, by plugging a, a kick drum recorded onto a cassette and feeding that in uh, and attaching a loop pedal and kind of getting this really dirty, rave, almost sort of thing. And I've had uh, some very fun gigs doing that. Um, but I feel like I might have worn that out a, just a little bit and I'm starting to you know, repeat myself. So I've somewhat committed to patching it up in a totally different way and you know um yeah exploring what else Now, Ruben, uh, like I said at the top, like your your catalogue is is pretty extensive. And uh, actually, when I sort of listened through to uh, a few of your albums that I had in my collection, it was, um, and I mean this as a, as a compliment rather than as a criticism. Like uh, very few are the same, you know, um, and uh, which which I really enjoy. And because it's sort of, uh, I don't really know what's going to come next. But I wanted to talk about um, one that called Tuft. How recent is that one? Mm. Uh, I think it was mostly recorded in 2019, and then I think 
uh, maybe uh, I had planned to launch it at the end of 2019 um, and I got around to it in January 2020 yeah mm. so tell us the story of that one how did how did what, what was your approach to making Tuft I think on consecutive weekends I went to the Now Now Festival in Sydney and then uh, sort of a similar type of event in Canberra called Sound Out, um, which is a great festival uh, yearly uh, event. Um, you know, free improvised music, mostly uh, acoustic instruments, extended techniques, uh, this type of thing, um, and lots of international and interstate uh, guests um, all playing together in different duos, trios, and, and groups. And I, I got just a bit inspired about trying that kind of thing out and lots of multi-tracking which I love to do anyway so uh, it was a really um, playful kind of kind of thing where I would just I've got all these different kind of objects and like toy instruments uh, and you know just like little accordions and keyboards and glockenspiels and things kind of lying around so I would just you know play around on on each of them and layer things the other uh, thing that I got into was manipulating uh, cassette playback and I have a bunch of different um, uh, cassette decks and note you know dictaphones and things like that rather than you know doing any uh, actual tape collage I would you know take something from a, a tape I have some sound effects cassettes and I have you know other recordings I've made of myself you know over the years and just physically manipulating the tape deck you know in front of a microphone uh, stopping rewinding playing little snippets and and that type of thing yeah it was it was very, very fun That's hyperdelic. Tell us about that track, Ruben. Um, that has some of the, um, you know, uh, cassette tape manipulation on there. Um, that includes, uh, you know, my manipulation of a of a dictaphone recording of a, a gig that uh, I did at Rond Terrace, which is sort of this grassy piece of, of land next to the lake in Canberra, uh, with my friend uh, Emma, who plays as Happy Axe. So it's actually little fragments from her set that are kind of mm. warped and, um, yeah, essentially sampled um, and played back in that one. Yeah. It would be remiss of me not to uh, tell everyone who's listening to uh, 
dig into the New Way Australia podcast archive and look for an interview we did with Happy Axe uh, mm. a couple of years ago. Uh, beautiful stuff from, from Emma Kelly. Um, well, while we're talking about that kind of recording, kind of field recordings, I wanted to talk about uh, one called, how do we pronounce this? It looks like Honeymoon that's misspelled. Oh, yes. Uh, Hongimoon. Um yeah. Which was you've got so much work you can't even remember what you've got. <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, my wife and I went to Hong Kong uh, for our honeymoon, and that was in oh, hence the name. I get it now. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I yeah. took my uh, little uh, Zoom recorder and made you know little recordings all around the place. And when I got back, I compiled like a little travelogue uh it's almost like a little photo album of the trip with a few little musical interventions into the the field recordings you know a bit of piano here a, a bit of this and that but it's largely yeah about about just the the recordings how much does does field recordings play into your work in terms of using that either because here it's very much to the fore you know i mean the the kind of uh, like you say the the additional things that you bring to it the additional layerings can be quite subtle throughout throughout the album do they play a part in your in your work more broadly i think there's so there's so much you can get out of them and and they can be used in so many different ways i love using field recordings uh, as an ingredient in other tracks it's a good contrast to digital sound or digitally created sound that can be i don't know it's a, it's a bit of a cliche to call it you know sterile or uh that type of thing but the richness and randomness and and texture of just you know the air is is quite nice and you know in that uh hong kong collection it's uh memory you know it's like a like a photograph in that way and randomness is obviously really key in you know whether we're talking about improvised music or experimental music in 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 general that kind of the the ability for there to be a you know series of happy accidents or Mm. or or for things to interrupt and intersect with whatever you're doing at, at, at any one time and i guess that's the beauty of the field recording is that you know you have literally no control over over what what might occur particularly um in an environment like uh, the one we're going to hear now uh which is called ladies market i assume this is in uh, a market in hong kong he gives a little That's bit right. of a flavor of this yes so there's a market called the the ladies market i think it's all um female uh, sellers just uh, narrow packed uh, streets full of full of stalls you're sort of squeezing past people phone cases and bags and toys and t-shirts and you know all all kinds of this and that and each stall i don't know have has their own interesting little focus but also sells the the same um tourist junk as you know every other stall in the whole city you know (laughs) yeah 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 Oh, 
I wanted to talk about the live series that you run uh, called Soundscapes uh, in in Canberra. Um, can you give us a bit of an introduction to Soundscapes in terms of what it is and your kind of curatorial approach to that? So Soundscapes was started by my friend uh, Chris Finnegan, and it was a, I think, roughly monthly event uh, at local venue Smith's Alternative, and I came along to many of them, and I played at one of them, and uh, they were essentially uh, experimental and ambient and or even just down-tempo uh, sorts of musics, um, usually pretty eclectic, um, local acts. And when Chris was moving overseas for a while, I put my hand up to keep it going, and I kind of gave it a bit more branding and regularity and kind of got in a real, uh, you know, procedure with it and started to bring a few people from interstate and tried to sort of build it up a bit. So that was uh, 2017 and um, it's been going monthly uh, since then. Uh, we've had all kinds of people uh, come, come down and play. Um, it's been very fun. But but so many Canberra artists play play there, and like you like you say, I mean, even when you took it over, you sort of talked about broadening it out to to more kind of interstate. But it sort of says something, I think, about Canberra that there is a city that is you know a sort of fraction of the size of Sydney or Melbourne. It nonetheless has um, a, a seemingly a very high density of musicians working in this kind of more left field and ex experimental space. Do you think that's kind of accurate? Hmm, it's hard to say. I guess something that I I really value and 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 that I sort of aimed for seeing other other nights in the you know regular nights in the past as a as a model is that if you just keep something going for long enough and make it uh, fairly like a broad church, then people will start to meet each other there, and you'll you'll just gradually you know build build momentum as you, you know, you find this bedroom producer and you find, you know, this person and try and, yeah, try and bring them all together. Mm. It's so important, something like that, though, because, you know, like you say, you originally went there as an audience member and then sort of find yourself organizing the damn thing a few years later. <laughs> but, you know, probably plenty of people who would go who were maybe either were considering making music or just started making music but didn't necessarily have the the confidence or, or to, to think that they were ready to share it or what have you. And it takes something like these soundscapes and, and hundreds of nights like them around the world where people recognize kin. You know, they say, these are, I can, I, I feel part of this community. I feel confident enough now that I can kind of stand up and do it. So I'm sure soundscapes has been responsible in some regard for, um, you know, for, for allowing people to, I guess, step up on their, on their own terms. But as I say, giving them the confidence to, uh, to sit in front of an audience and make weird music. Yeah, certainly I think uh, a lot of Soundscapes uh, sets have been people's uh, first gigs um, or, you know, second gigs. <laughs> um, and uh, a really eclectic mix of of things, you know, um, from, yeah, free, free improvisation to uh, chip tune, um, all kind of 
you know, in a in a place um, the size of Canberra, you know, that's it's probably not big enough to organise, you know, a regular chip tune night or uh, you know or, or any other sort of like niche thing that you can name. So this was a place to yeah bring bring them all in. Now, that track we just heard there is called uh, Forever Young. Tell us what it was that we were listening to there, Ruben. Uh, so that is the, oh, is it Alpha? Alphaville, I think. Alphaville, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Um, with their track Forever Young that's been slowed down and, you know, uh, looped and manipulated a bit. Um, kind of uh, a bit vapor wavy, I suppose. Um, <laughs> that's from a. A collection of different treatments of of slowed down tunes that I collected together a little while ago. I've been slowing down tunes probably yeah ever since like early vaporwave days. I guess um, mm. everyone. What's the fascination there? Like what's what what sort of led you to that, and, and mm. what is it that what is it that you find in that so appealing? Well, there's a there's a few different things. The chorus of a song, of a well-crafted song, where it builds up to the chorus and the chorus is so impactful, if the verse just takes longer, your anticipation is like, um, objectively, I, I guess, has been ex, you know expanded, so the chorus hits harder. The sound of, of the frequencies, you know, the bass gets deeper, the, the highs get, you know, duller can make things you know mellower it's uh yeah fun to you know drop the 45 to 33 and um <laughs> get your uh, two songs for the price of one <laughs> but you've sort of took that um because i believe you, you you initially started um or sort of presented some of those ideas um as part of a kind of performance lecture but but you went on to do uh a full like 26 episode series just focusing on slow music called called slow tunes um that's a lot of that's a lot of airtime um to to focus on yeah so um i talked about the uh the the viral sensation of the slowed down uh, bieber track i think um it must have been early 2010s when uh that paul stretch software came out and suddenly that was sort of a, a bit of an audio meme is taking things and stretching them out you know so a three minute song became one hour kind of ambient uh, thing so I, I talked a whole bunch about that I investigated different kind of uh, micro genres 
that use slowing down as a as a bit of a motif or a, or a central uh, theme like vaporwave uh, and witch house and there was a south american uh, thing where colombian cumbia music was being mm. slowed down in association with a particular you know kind of micro uh, fashion niche um, totally fascinating stuff i dug into a few uh, different things um, explained a bit of audio theory uh, I did a, a bit of myth busting around that um, God's chorus of crickets which is another slightly viral thing which purports to mm. take a recording of uh, crickets or insects or, you know some kind of bug and then when you hear it slowed down it actually you know uh, sounds like a beautiful 12-tone tempered, you know, choir of angels. And um, wow. it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert, it is highly uh, fake. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of project, Slow Tunes, kind of talks to that kind of wonderful deep dive into, like you say, a micro genre, a super kind of niche subject and just really just digging into it and, and uh, finding the joy in the minutiae. And I kind of say that because one of your other projects uh, also seems a fairly kind of niche hobby, perhaps, um, which is your collection of Independence Day films. Um, yes. <laughs> now, at first, I, I, I was quite incredulous when I, when I read this, but I'll let you tell us about it. Tell us about your Independence Day fixation. Oh, this started uh, early 2010s, I think. I picked up a few copies of Independence Day on VHS from an op shop, and I had some kind of idea about what I was going to do with them. And then the collection just started to grow. And every time I was at an op shop or then when my uh, friends and my brother were at op shops, they would find these. And then, you know, every Christmas and birthday for the past 10 years, I've gotten a whole stack of them. And now it's, you know, it's its own self-perpetuating uh, thing. Uh, I have enough of them that they function as furniture in my house. My monitor stands um in in my little room where i've got my uh, music gear are big stacks of uh, independence day vhs and they're holding up you know shelves of cds um last do you like the film i mean because it sounds like it was sort of almost accidental <laughs> is the film actually any i mean i haven't seen it for years i can't remember if it was any good or not i love it yeah i do love it um and uh you know jeff goldblum's fantastic it's just one of those uh, you know, a high point of overdone Hollywood action uh, films. Yeah, highly enjoyable. I've been meaning to watch it again, uh, you know, soon. <laughs> well, we're in lockdown. I mean, it seems like that is the perfect time to be listening to slow music and watching Independence Day and uh, other 
other types of pursuits like that. Yeah. At last count, um, I have 103 copies. Um, Surely there can't be that many more left in Australia. You've got them all. <laughs> yeah, hoarding them all. I've panic, panic bought the Independence Day uh, VHS supply. Um, in July last year, on Independence Day, July 4th, it happened to line up with uh, soundscapes. And I took this as a self-indulgent opportunity to get uh, Emma Kelly, uh, ha- Happy Axe, uh, and uh, my friend uh, Marlena Radici to form a trio with me. And we did a live improv um, synced up to the uh, last third of the, the last half hour of the film, which involves, you know, yeah, the third act. Um, so we played that on VHS and, and made our noise. Um, and it was a lot of you fun. Must, yeah, I was going to say, it must be the happiest you'd ever been for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Uh, Ruben, thanks very much. Um, appreciate the time and uh, good to have a chat with you. Um, I'm going to leave with uh, another track from NIMBY. This one, I'm not going to use the word ambient, but it's sort of, you know, a little bit more laid back in its vibe. NIMBY number five. Ruben, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Sounds may be perceived as color, or color as odor. I, I knew that the boys smoked pot, and they, they equally knew that I disapproved. I was free above the planet Earth, so it was rotating majestically below me. New Year in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> 